You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Calling all trivia nerds, Brittany here, and I host the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast with my best friend, Meredith. Is your next car ride looking like a snooze fest? (laughs) We've got The Cure, three rounds of awesome trivia every week. Harry Potter, Disney, science, sports, you name it. No more silent car troubles. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Connect, laugh, and learn with your kids, big and small. (laughs) New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. Hello and welcome to Triviality, the game where lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. My name is Matt, and I will not be hosting, but I'm here in studio. Kicking live. it off for us. Ah, yes. Live with my friends, Neil and Jeff. How are you fellas doing? Huh? I'm great. Um, I just found out that I'm friends with Matt, so this is pretty exciting. <laughs> oh, it is an exciting day. I'm doing all right. Um, during our lunch break in between recordings, I bit my, my lip very hard mm-hmm. and it's not doing too good and I think it's going to swell up by the end of this recording so I'm hoping I can still speak. Yeah, it is unfortunate. We had to send Ken out to go get some lip balm. Uh, we don't know how long it's going to take him so I don't know if he's going to be joining us today. No, I, I asked for Bert's bees but he said they didn't do it right so he's going to find his own bees. That's he's on a He's on a bee quest. Yeah. Which is, I guess, a side to the A story, which is what we're doing here today, right? Yeah, we're not caring about the B story. We're caring about the A story today. Mm-hmm. And who is going to be joining us in this A story today, Neil? Well, during our hero's journey of today's podcast, uh, we have two very special guests. Uh, first, uh, we have a competitor who's going to be partnering with you today, Matt. Ooh, fun. Uh, and that is Mary Picorni Donnellan. How are you, Mary? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, what you've been up to? Um, I'm a television producer. I've been that for almost 30 years. Uh, if I'm not doing that, I'm helping raise my kids. Um, during COVID, I learned to get out on the golf course again. So I've been doing that. I played a couple rounds with the nice weather and just uh, enjoying time outside. That sounds like a nice way to, to spend your time. And uh, I'm sure um, being a producer, you're no stranger to busy and stressful days. So we're just happy that you're able to take a little time and, and uh, joke around with us today. Awesome. I'm very happy. I'm excited. Wonderful. Uh, And uh, we need a host in order to play the game. And uh, ironically, also coming from Wisconsin today, uh, coming to us from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is also an Oakland Five supporter on Patreon, and we appreciate his support. And that is Carl Kruger. How are you, Carl? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing awesome, uh, except for I think that looks like a Packers picture behind you. Is that correct? Mm. Uh, yes, yes, it is. All right. Well, we're we're gonna forgive that for today, um, but uh, we're I, I'm not gonna make that joke because it was already in the headlines many months ago. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Carl. Yeah, I'm a product manager for a company that makes logistics software. Um, I got married to my wife Anya in March, um, and obviously I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with her. Um, you know, we're just trying to enjoy the the last little bit of good weather before it gets too cold out. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And is your wife getting a lot of extra acclaim now because of the popularity of Anya Taylor-Joy? <laughs> no. No? Well, maybe. Maybe no. maybe she will now. One day. One, does she play chess? That's the question. I don't think she does. Okay, I don't know how to I'm play chess I've been married either. since March, so, so <laughs> I'm still learning things. Hey, we have a, you have a lifetime to find out if she can play chess. Yeah, that's the idea. Uh, but I think I've told the story on the podcast before. I babysat a kid who was 12, and he said, chess is very easy. Let me teach you. And let's just say after three hours, it did not work, and I don't know how to play. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, so, Matt, you're going to be partnering with Mary today. Um, and I actually had an idea for your team name, but I, I feel like you should you should be able to pick it together. Uh, well, let me hear your idea first, because I'm intrigued now. Okay, well, I love musicals, and Mary said that she is uh, on the golf course off and on again, and if she has a particularly bad day, she might sing the theme song to Bye Bye Birdie, so that's... Oh, I like that. Yeah, what... I'll go with that. I like that one. All right, so you'll be Bye Bye Birdie, and Jeff, we're partnering today, which I feel like it's always a match made in heaven together. Um, what would you like to be today? 
Uh, I don't know. Do you want to go golf theme or you want to uh, <laughs> go off the heaven theme? Oh, we can go heaven. Should we go musical heaven or golf theme? Mm, let's go musical heaven. Let's spin the wheel of Neil's knowledge. Uh, all right. Well, let's say um, we want we want points, and the only way to get points is for them to be fed to us. How about we be feed me Seymour? Okay. <laughs> from Little Shop of Horrors. Nice. Is that cool? Or no, feed me Dutch boy. We'll be feed me Dutch boy. <laughs> so we have feed Everything's me. Everything's better with a little. That Dutch doesn't boy. make any sense, it, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, we'll be. I just imagine a, now. I need like a T-shirt of us being spoon-fed by Dutch boy. <laughs> No one will purchase that T-shirt. I would prove Did, us wrong. Does it people. have applesauce on yeah. like one of those little rocket ship spoons? Or check us out on T Public. There you go. Nice plug there. And a sponsor today by T Public and also uh, Dutch Boy applesauce. I guess. Mm, why not? Yeah. Why not? Um, all right. Well, in order to play the game, we no- we have to know the rules. So, Carl, you are the host today. Any preference on the rules read? Yeah, so when I started listening to the show, it was when you guys always had the, the live rules reading in, in the studio. Um, so I was hoping I can get you know one of those guys that's, that's hanging out that can do it live. Sure, we can we can do it live. <laughs> <laughs> can we? Do we know how they, the the rules of the game are simple? Twenty questions split into, into two, two rounds. rounds. Hey. At the midway point, there's a swing round. That worth ten points apiece. Okay. And at Shows the end of by, no, it's a special swing round by this week's host. Okay. At the end of regulation, there will be the a final round. The final round yep. featuring five categorized questions. You can wager on them thirty at points, some points. From zero to thirty <laughs> points. And at the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. I am the cream. Oh, <laughs> Look at <yeah>. that. <laughs> Nailed it. One take. I like how we don't know our own rules. We don't. Reading. And I listen to it no. several times a week. Uh, where's Chris Hansen <laughs> when you need him? Stand by and I'll be watching. Uh, well, after all this nonsense uh, and introducing our wonderful guests, uh, Carl is going to take it away. And uh, as we said, it's going to be Team Bye Bye Birdie of Mary and Matt versus Feed Me Dutch Boy, uh, Jeff and Neil. So whenever you're ready, Carl. Yeah. Round one, question one. The Itsy Bitsy Spider. In Gothic architecture, what is the difference between a gargoyle and a grotesque? So you wrote down some terms that I don't understand, which makes me think you know what you're talking about. I'm just thinking Never of a given. gargoyles from Ghostbusters, or as Matt said... Uh, Disney's gargoyles. Disney's gargoyles. So I'm going to let Jeff lock in. Oh, boy. Uh, Mary, what is your relationship with gargoyles? Well, I'm more focusing on the clue with the Itsy Bitsy Spider. And initially I thought legs, but then more I was thinking the spout. So I'm thinking that they're both actually part of the architecture, but that the gargoyles have the mouth where would be on the eaves and that would be the rain spout. Okay. So that's what I'm guessing. That's what the difference is where Grotesque does not have that feature, is not placed in that location. So that's what I'm guessing. So to sum up, one has a mouth and one doesn't, more or less? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what acts as a rain spout for the building. Gotcha. So we will say that is the difference. Yep. Uh, I, I just said that gargoyles um, are the ones that direct water away from a building. Technically, I think gargoyles are grotesques. But Yeah, points going to both teams there. Uh, a grotesque is used primarily for decoration, but gargoyles have the added purpose of diverting water away from the building. Wow, I had no idea. Also had no idea, but you know what? Points for everyone. That's why you have Mary, I have Jeff, and we can just sit back and look pretty. (laughs) That's what we're here for. Yeah. Um, So Gargoyles was a Disney-produced animated series that ran from 1994 until 1997, uh, featuring of a clan of gargoyles that was frozen in stone for a thousand years, which brings us to a Disney-related question. Uh, The next category is an extremely goofy question. Appearing in jobs such as pirate used and used car salesman, and usually as a villain, what character is Disney's oldest continuously used character? Uh, <laughs> well, that's not bad. Yeah, he's pretty good. Could it be the antagonist to that character? I would think so. I didn't know that character had an antagonist. Yeah, he's very big and muscular and puffs his chest out. Mm. I, I don't. I don't know if he's been around that long, but oh, maybe. All right, uh, we're gonna lock in over here. All right, so they're locked in over there. Uh, Mary, uh, how familiar are you with Disney antagonists? I mean, Disney, I've got three kids, three girls, so uh, big into Disney. But the oldest running one, I'm thinking it would be, if he's an antagonist, way back to Steamboat Willie. And I can't remember the character's name. Big, muscular, something Pete, but I'm not sure. There is, so the, the question category was uh, a goofy question um yeah i think the guy the bad guy well as bad as he is in goofy movie i think his name's brutus 
Okay. I think that's the name of the big dog guy. Big beefy, okay. big beefy dog man. Uh, and I think if you're okay with that, we can lock in with Brutus. I am okay with Brutus. I okay. think you set that question in motion. Um, <laughs> actually, I Mary had a similar train of thought to what I had. I was thinking Brutus at first, but I know there was a character who's been around a long time that looks just like Brutus, at least according to my head. And, and we locked in with Pete. Yeah, making his first appearance in February 1925, uh, predating Mickey by three years, it is Pete, oh. also known oh. as Pistol Pete or Big Leg Pete. Um, obviously, he's in the Goofy movies and that, that TV show as um, a bunch of other things. Category, round number three, um, the category is not gold, but silver. Stephen King, Vincent Price, and Mel Brooks were all considered for the theming of what classic Disney ride? Um, so Mary, I have recently been to Disneyland and every single ride there is connected to some kind of movie, but there is one that wasn't that I thought was odd. Um, the Haunted Mansion. What do you think about that one? I like it. I mean, it's scary. I'm just trying to think of how it would tie to, do you see any connection to? Well, for, Steven- for Mel Brooks, it could be, they might've wanted to make it a Dracula dead and loving it movie. Or okay. ride, and Vincent Price is known for his scary nonsense. Same thing with Stephen King. I think they're actually going to make it a Coco ride, is from what I had heard. But then the pandemic kind of paused all those plans. Um, but it's really just a basic ghost ride, and I think that you could have themed it with any of those guys. Okay, well, yeah, we can go with that. The only thing, one thing, is that um, I've read a lot of Stephen King, and I'm not sure how this would go Vincent Price or with Mel Brooks, but I know that he had done a short story at this point called Silver Bullet. Oh. And, um, but again, if I haven't been to Disney World or Land, either one of them, <laughs> um, I'm willing to go with uh, your answer. Yeah. And since you've been there, and sure, let's go for it. Yeah, the only Silver Bullet ride I can think of is in the Rockies, and that's Coors. Um, yes. <laughs> we, we're going to lock in with Haunted I thought that's Mansion. what you called it when you just crushed a whole case of it at a backyard barbecue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah too. Going on a silver bullet ride. So we locked in with Haunted Mansion. Okay. Uh, I love Mary's reference to Silver Bullets, one of my favorite like 80s horror movies with Corey Haim, um, werewolf movie. Uh, we basically, we wrote down Haunted Mansion and uh, Jeff wrote down Tower of Terror, which I thought was a really interesting guess there too and i was just trying to think of how mel brooks you know is connected i figured vincent price house on haunted hill and stephen king horror and then mel brooks i was like maybe young frankenstein they go to a mansion um that has the the knockers on it that uh terry gar knocks and they make the joke about so um but we ended up going haunted mansion as well yeah matt if you went to disneyland recently um may have put you down the wrong path a little bit um yeah so the category was not gold but silver because i was trying to hint at um Rod Sterling, who actually introduces the ride. Um, Rod Sterling is obviously from the Twilight Zone. The answer is the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Oh, Jeff. Uh-huh. Yeah, and obviously in Disneyland, I believe it's been rethemed to Guardians of the Galaxy. It is, yeah. Not uh, Twilight Zone anymore. But yeah, with Mel Brooks, um, it actually wasn't you know kind of scary themed at all. Um, it was supposed to be you know kind of more like like a movie production. You're you're going through a set, um, and at the end he would yell "cut," and that's when the the, the drop would happen. Oh, so Tower of Terror, future film by Taika Waititi. Mm. So um, moving on, um, by now you may have realized that all the questions and answers, I'm, I've tried to put them in kind of a stream of consciousness-like game where they lead from one into the other. Um, maybe more accurately, you'd be like a Wikipedia rabbit hole. <laughs> um, yeah, so some of the questions and answers may give hints to the, to the question that follows it, while others just have a thematic bond. Moving on to question number four. The category is the Oakland Fifth Dimension. From 1959 to 1964, The Twilight Zone ran for 156 episodes with an anthology film being released in 1983. The film has four segments, each directed by a different director. For five points each, name the four directors that each directed a segment of The Twilight Zone movie. We can lock in. Yeah, I figured as much. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, is Do you think James Cameron might have been one? At this point, I mean, it could be you're looking at who's big in the 80s. Spielberg, Cameron, mm-hmm. Ridley Scott. Lucas. Lucas. I don't think Lucas did one, though. No. He's probably too busy with other things. Yeah. Um, Trying to squeeze all the money he could out of. <laughs> designing Jar Jar. Yeah. Took him 10 years. Scott, Cameron. Who's another one that would be? Uh, Wes Craven. Sure. 
I think he was making movies around then. So we got Craven, Spielberg, Scott, and what was the other one? Uh, Cameron? Yeah, those are the four. Yeah. We're locked in. All right. All right. Uh, well, we locked in with uh, John Landis, uh, George Miller of Mad Max fame. He did the famous one with John Lithgow on the plane. That was a remake of the... Um, Shatner one. Shatner one. Uh, Joe Dante and Steven Spielberg. <laughs> we got one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jeff and, and Neil got all the points there. I believe yeah, you know, John Landis. Zero. Come you on. Just say Neil. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John Landis, uh, Steven Spielberg, Joe Dante, and George Miller, um, also of Happy Feet fame. He, he directed those as well, including to the Mad Max. Yes. So um, yeah, George Miller is Australian, and obviously there's a large triviality following of Australian rules football. However, I don't know anything about that, so you're going to get an American football question here. Uh, question number five in Not Silver But Gold. Only a handful of NFL teams have beaten another franchise in 100 or more separate games. What NFL team was the first to record 100 victories over two different NFL teams? I mean, we can. I I went against your gut on Tower of Terror, and you were right. So doesn't mean anything, but let's just see how your what your guts, okay. uh, what kind of acid yeah. it's playing. See if you got it. a probiotic in there. Yeah, I do. All right, <laughs> Jeff uh, wrote an answer down, uh, and I'm gonna trust his gut on this one. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, Mary, what do you think? I have no idea. That's why you're on my That's team, sir. That's why I'm here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think the gold clue will lead me to the Steelers. Um, I actually wrote the Steelers down. Yeah, I they're black and gold. My other guess might have been the Packers. Um, two reasons. They have yellow slash kind of gold helmets. And um, also Carl's from Wisconsin. And they've beaten the Bears a lot, and they're in the same division as the Lions, who are very bad at football, um, and have also been around a long time. But I think yeah. I think I'm okay locking in with the Steelers, probably beating the Browns a hundred times, and probably beating, we'll say the Jets. I don't know some other team, but I I, I think we can lock in with the Steelers. Um, yeah, you went AFC. My gut originally said NFC, thinking gold. Um, 49ers were mining gold. They, uh, they were pretty successful for a long time. So maybe they beat a hundred different teams. So we said the 49ers. Yeah. Beating the lions for the hundredth time in 2016 and the Chicago bears in 2020, it is the green and gold, the green Bay Packers. How can yeah. I have all the parts of the answer and still get it wrong? <laughs> yeah. I wrote it down. I said game theory cause he's from Wisconsin, but I mean, gold, I had to trust Jeff's gut. He was right on tower of terror. So no, it doesn't mean anything. Clearly, I just think I just just lost my Wisconsin card, oh, so yeah. I'm gonna be moving here soon. So, uh, well, it looks like after five questions of the first round, uh, team uh, Bye Bye Birdie is picking up 25 points, and team Feed Me Dutch Boy is gonna be at 40 points, so it's 40 to 25. Well, that's not bad because I felt like we didn't get anything right, yeah. And so, my parents are actually they're from Chicago, they're Bears fans. Um, you know, obviously, Triviality is Chicago-based, so as, as a Packer fan, I had to get my dig in. What happened, um, though, with your parents and you? What, where did Green Bay come uh, in? We, so they moved to Wisconsin when I was four, and then the Packers won the Super Bowl a couple of years later. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're that age, learning what football is, and the team an hour from you is winning the championship, yeah. you, you obviously, you uh, you flip sides. Winning? Their chagrin. What are you talking about, winning? We don't know anything about that here. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, the Packers have a have a record and a record 13 NFL championships. Um, unfortunately, they don't have a monopoly on all the championships. Hey, speaking of monopoly, question number six. I want a segue like that for my game piece. What is the statistically most landed on property in Monopoly? And for five bonus points, what is the least landed on property? Yeah. I... Is this individual square or by title? Uh, like individual yeah, property. Okay. Yeah, that, that's fine with me. Okay. We'll just say it because okay. we both said it. All right. We're going to lock in. There's just so many properties, and I'm just trying to think. I actually went as the least landed on, and I went with that way first, thinking maybe free parking. But um, the other most landed on, maybe a railroad or the electric company or waterworks. I was thinking it's potentially one of the – early properties because if you get sent back to go you have a chance to land on those okay. over and over um so maybe like baltic are, is that baltic one? mediterranean 
Um, then the light blue ones are there too. Yeah. Is that Connecticut. Anything you can get in your first roll from, uh, so I would say probably Baltic Avenue. I, I like that one. Okay. Um, How about Electric Avenue? Uh, and then for least likely, uh, probably Boardwalk. Would you think that? Park Place? We can do with one of those. Yeah, sure. Let's uh, go with Park Place for no reason. Jeff, you wrote down some clues there, and we both wrote down the same one. I don't know if it's the least or most, but... Yeah, we wrote down jail. Mm-hmm. Um, there's several different ways to go to jail um, by rolling doubles three times. Or... And Jeff's been to jail many times, so we know mm-hmm. there's more than yeah, one. Jaywalking. Not, not paying your taxes or Screaming whatever. Screaming at and... children and... Yeah. 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 Um, knocking ice cream cones on the ground. That, es- that escalated quickly, though. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we uh, so we said jail. Um, I don't think it's right now that I think about it, I actually... Secretly, I think it's Oriental or one of those first like few blue spaces. I think they might be onto something with that. But least landed on. You want to say free parking? Sure. We go jail for that and free parking as our guest for the bonus. Yeah. So based on a combination of you know dice probability from where you can start on the board and where chance cards send you, um, this answer actually references the home of one of the teams in the previous question. That is Illinois Avenue. Mm. It's the most landed on property yeah. in Monopoly. Um, the least landed on is Mediterranean. Oh, I, I didn't even know that was a I think that's place. like three, right? Or one or three. I have no idea. Yeah, right in the beginning. Yeah, it's three. Yeah. Question number seven. City in the Garden. Chicago gets its name from the Algonquin word, Chicaquam, which means what? All right. So we think we know the answer. We're going to lock in over here at uh, Feed Me Dutch Boy. Mm-hmm. This is part of primary school education in Chicago. You learned this in Casimir Pulaski <laughs> around say, the same I time. Say yeah. Pulaski. Uh, Mary, do you have any idea? I do not. I'm hoping you do. I'm, I think it means swamp. I think Chicago is just a giant old swampland before they, uh, they fixed it up. So we're going to say swamp. You're not wrong about that. All right, and Jeff I'm wrong I, about the answer. <laughs> Jeff and Maybe. I couldn't remember if our answer was for the translation of Illinois or Chicago, but we we felt confident, and we said it's uh, smelly onion or stinky onion. Yeah, Chicago, uh, also known as the Windy City or the City of Broad Shoulders, gets its name from the onion or garlic or wild leek. Yeah, so I, I would accept um, uh, Jeff and Neil's answer there. All right. right. Well, I, it's because I left for two years. I forgot everything. So, so maybe you can use those onions to make a creamy French onion soup, where in the next category, uh, question number eight, the cream rises to the top. So in the crop last winter, somebody posted a website that was allegedly selling a periodic table that contained real elements. Um, it sold for the low cost of $189, uh, but fine print showed that only 83 stable elements were used in the construction. Uh, found in group one of the periodic table, what is the most expensive naturally occurring element? All right. If I know one thing about Jeff, it's uh, since he was the ripe old age of 14 years old, above his bed was a poster of the uh, most expensive elements in a bikini. <laughs> so, Jeff, you might know this answer. I have no idea whatsoever. Oh, corn, cornucovium? That... And a cornucovium. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. So what were you thinking? You said you had an idea. So group one, I think, is mostly gases. I think that's your helium, oxygen, and that's such... I think I think um, I think helium is actually pretty expensive at this point. It's very it's becoming more rare. Um, but I'm not maybe. But then I was thinking maybe nitrogen. I don't know. Um, maybe radium. I don't know. Now I'm just guessing things. No. Let's <laughs> let's go helium. Sure. Helium it is. I think you guys uh, are actually kind of close with radium. So in the group one, it's like helium, lithium, sodium, potassium, and then I forget the other three. So, but I think you're closer than us. We just guessed palladium because I know that's a pretty expensive metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the, the segue between questions, I referenced French onion soup. Um, that was a hint there um, with an estimated value of $1 billion per gram. Francium. Oh. Oh, sacre bleu. There, so there's an element named francium? There is. I didn't know that. <laughs> Question number nine in creme de la creme. Speaking of France, with what country does France share its longest border? We're locked in. 
Oh, I wanted to see if I could figure it out, but I'll. I'll you think, can take a guess. I'll think about it, and then you tell me if I'm wrong privately. All right, go ahead, Matt. We're locked in. Go ahead, Matt. Mary, what do you what do you know about European uh, geography? I'm thinking it's well, Spain's to the south, mm-hmm. and then you've got north of it is Belgium. Belgium's tiny. Ah, uh, yes, and then there's Luxembourg, and then Germany. I would be between Italy, Spain, and so, Germany. Yeah, I think it's going to be between one of those two. I'm just, except I'm just wondering about the Italian. Yeah. Um. I'm. Yeah. Just Spain just seems too easy. So maybe Germany. Yeah, I think Germany. It goes France, Germany, Poland. Right. I think that's the order over there. Um. I don't know. My geography is terrible, and I apologize to everyone from Europe, um, <laughs> from the band Europe. Everybody, <laughs> uh, but I think I you like Germany then. Yeah, I think Germany. Or, I'm again. I'm going back to Italy because what's I'm looking going back. Keep on going back to the cruise, the clues, creme de la creme. Mm. I don't know if that's just France or anything like that, but um, well, Italy is very long, and it could yeah. it shares most of that long border. So we, I think we can go with Italy. Let's go Italy. Let's try that. Locked in with Italy. All right, Neil. I'm gonna get this so that you can get it through a film clue. Okay. You ready? So um, I'm pretty sure that this border is not in Europe, and it shares its name with a 1985 film directed by Terry Gilliam. Oh, oh. I know what it is now. Wait, the, they have Brazil? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So yeah, uh, the uh, French Guiana in South America would share its longest border with Brazil, and that is recognized as a holy... European part of Brazil or uh, France. Wow. So a trick question, kind of. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Jeff was you know, 100% on. Um, yeah, the longest border um, is with Brazil. Yeah, French Guiana is it's a legally a fully fledged part of France. It's not a territory or anything like that. Yeah, it was moving on to question number 10. You say potato, I say potato. In what country is it believed that potatoes originated? And for five bonus points, within 300, how many different types of potato exist from that country? Oh, my God. Yeah, uh, we're going to lock in uh, our guests here for both that and the bonus. All right. So we don't think it's Ireland, right? No. 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 They could not import enough potatoes. That was their problem. Uh, where do you think they're from? Well, U.S. is a good choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, again, so I'm thinking, again, we're in, last one was in brazil oh yeah um, i'm also thinking um south american countries that's a lot they have a big production of sweet potatoes down argentina chile mm. um yeah so i'm thinking in that region of the world argentina has large crops and they have, they're a big yeah. big big country so um i am good with locking in with argentina but within okay. 300, how many potatoes do you think are from there? I'm thinking like probably like 700, somewhere around there. It's that low? Do you, don't you think it'd be higher if, if he's given us, a, given us a range of within 300? Yeah, maybe it's like 1,800. Uh, do you want to split, like go 1,200? I want to go 1,200. We're, All right, let's go. 1,200, Argentina. Lock it in, boys. <laughs> uh, we are guessing potatoes from Mexico. We don't know. Um, and then we guess 750 for the types. Yeah, so we're staying in South America. Um, it's actually Peru. Oh. They have uh, 4, 000, <sighs> approximately 4,000 different varieties of potato. I, I don't believe you. Name them all. <laughs> uh, sorry. Oh um, man, my wife is actually from Peru, um, so that's that's where ah. I learned that. Um, and honestly, she doesn't really like trivia, but she lets me listen to the podcast um, on road trips, which is nice. Oh. As long as I listen to her like creepy murder podcasts after. Hey, okay. I'll be on the lookout yeah. for our creepy murder podcast coming out next month. Yeah, well, as long as Jeff doesn't get caught. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Anya, it's for only uh, murders on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, only murders on the podcast. When yeah. I'm the only one left, it's going to be pretty obvious who done it. <laughs> Uh, it looks like after the first round, uh, Team Bye Bye Birdie is at 25. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't get one right in the second half there. And we only picked up 20 points in the second half, bringing our total to 60. So still a very gettable game for both teams. Um, before we go to the swing round, Carl, and find out what the category is, uh, we wanted to take a moment, both 
Carl and Mary are Patreon supporters, uh, which we truly appreciate. Uh, they help us, uh, you know, continue to grow our show and, and uh, make it uh, that much more worth it for us. But Jeff, uh, we were talking before we started recording today about uh, how excited we are just to tell people a little bit more in detail of what Patreon can do for us. Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much everything that we have uh, going for us is because of Patreon. I mean, our whole studio setup, our Really nice soundboard, mics, headphones, our awesome editing computer, our sound dampening equipment that we have in here. Uh, all of that was financed by patrons. Um, you know, before we were just kind of recording on whatever we had in a kitchen and it's true. everything sounded terrible and it took hours and hours to edit and render because we had crappy old computers. We so. had one microphone that we passed back <laughs> we and forth. We shared back and forth. Yeah. We did. We had that. And uh, another great thing that uh, people like Mary and Carl are helping us with is uh, for four years, we would record eight to nine hours in a day and we wouldn't get any food. Uh, and now the Patre- Patreon money is allowing us just to get ourselves some lunch so that we mm-hmm. don't stab each other uh, or <laughs> yeah. starve uh, for the entire day. So for just $1 a month, you can feed a podcast. <laughs> it, it's true. And if, if you do give us $1 a month, I will sing Sarah McLaughlin as I feed Jeff. So um, so thank you very I'm much. Here for that. If you give us $5, we won't show you that. There you go. Uh, well, <laughs> thank you very much uh, to all of you who are helping support us. Uh, and on top of all of that, helping us grow the show, we're able to provide extra audio content that you can have every month and uh, many different types of bonuses that are of the audio uh, content. So, Not to mention very many of the levels have things where we actually send stuff back to our patrons. That's right. So, very, uh, a very... used sock, a, a tire. Nope, don't think so. Cool things like signed posters and character boxes and things like that, Neil. Uh, I don't know what you're shipping off in yours. Maybe don't get a Neil box for a little while here. But uh, no, I, we really appreciate everything that the patrons have been able to help us accomplish with the show. We're really proud of how things have been coming along here and... Uh, Let's just say uh, more and better things to come uh, this year in 22. So Yes, very much so. So thank you very much. If you'd like to join them, you can go to patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast. Carl, what is the swing around category today? Yeah, the swing around category is Olympics. So the 2020 Summer Olympics were held this past summer in a city that was hosting for the second time. Uh, for the swing round, I'll be listing the years years and seasons for cities that have hosted multiple times. Um, and then for five points each, I'm going to ask you to name the city. Okay. So, uh, number one, summer, 1896 and 2004. Number two, winter, 1964 and 1976. Number three, winter, 1932 and 1980. Number four, summer, 1964 and 2020. Number five, winter, 1956 and 2026. Number six, summer, 1908, 1948, and 2012. Number seven, winter, 1928 and 1948. Number eight, summer, 1900, 1924, and 2024. Number nine, summer, 1932, 1984, and 2028. And finally, number 10, summer 2008 and winter 2022. All right, we will be back with our answers. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? 
Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. All right, all the answers are now locked in. So we, uh, we're going to see who's going to get the gold, silver, or bronze uh, after we lock in our answers here. So let's hear the questions one more time, Carl, and we will go through. Yeah. Uh, question one, summer 1896 and 2004. Uh, yeah, first uh, modern Olympics host, and then they wanted the bid in 2000 but didn't get it and went to 04. We said Athens, Greece. And we agree, Athens. It is Athens, Greece. Number two. Winter, 1964 and 1976. Yep, uh, we said Montreal. Uh, we also said Montreal. It's actually Innsbruck, Austria. Oh, wow. Oh. Number three, Winter, 1932 and 1980. Pretty sure this is the miracle game. We said Lake Placid. And we also said Lake Placid. Yeah, it's Lake Placid, New York, USA. Number four, 1964, 2020. Yep. Uh, predicted, of course, by one of my favorite anime. Uh, this was Tokyo. Yeah, the games that actually took place in 2021, Tokyo. Yeah, uh, Tokyo, Japan. Number five, winter, 1956 and 2026. I think this is one we didn't uh, have an answer, so you're just going to have to shoot from the hip on this one. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the city. I know it went to Italy. I'm pretty sure for the bid, so we're just going to guess Milan. <laughs> that uh that is we we guess as well uh, again we did we guess it was italy in that region and so matt throughout milan that's what we went with the milan yeah so um you're, you're pretty close um but but not um so it's actually cortina <laughs> cortina de Empezo, which is in italy um ah. yeah they hosted obviously for the first time in 1956 um they're hosting in conjunction with milan in 2026 ah, that's um, that. it's, it's the first time that Olympics will be held in two different cities. Um, but yeah, the answer is Cortina di Empezo. Mm. Yeah, because it's Milan's first time mm. hosting. Never would have gotten um, that either. Yeah. Number six, summer 1908, 1948, and 2012. City's so nice. They did it thrice. Uh, we said London. Yeah, I can't forget this logo. Um, oh, sorry. I jumped on you, Matt. Yeah, it is London. We have London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is correct. It is London. Number seven. Winter, 1928 and 1948. This is a super random poll. I remember it as, as we were almost about to wrap up our answers. Neil and I were talking about, um, you know, who would host following World War II. And, uh, and then I remembered uh, Saint Moritz has hosted in Switzerland. Um, so that's what we said. Uh, we were uncertain about this one. And so we just guessed Oslo. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, St. Moritz or San Moritz, Switzerland. Number eight, summer, 1900, 1924, and 2024. This one uh, we thought was Paris, so we said Paris. I love the 100 years apart. Uh, we also said Paris. Yeah, that's Paris, France. Number nine, 1932, 1984, and 2028. Too bad Matt didn't stay there uh, so I could crash on his couch. Uh, this is going to be L.A. It might be the reason I left. <laughs> and we agreed los angeles yep that is correct los angeles california Can you imagine the traffic during that event oh boy <laughs> number 10 summer 2008 winter 2022 uh i think this is going to be it might be the first one to host both a summer and a winter i'm pretty sure this is beijing i believe that fact is correct too uh we said no i think maybe mexico city did but we said uh beijing yeah, it is the first to host it, host both the summer and the winter. It is Beijing. All right. Well, it looks like at the end of the swing round here, uh, team 
Uh, bye bye birdie is picking up 35 points bringing their total to 60 and team feed me dutch boys picking up 40 points bringing their total to 100 so it is 100 to 60 going into the second round question number 11 in banned tv shows what animated tv show running from 1990 until 1992 featured voice work from lavar burton meg ryan Whoopi goldberg martin sheen and sting oh i think i know this we wrote down a lot of titles over here. Uh, many we, of them contentious. Many of them contentious. Do, yeah. Some of them mid-90s and late-90s, but we, we don't know if our answer was even in the right time period, but we're going to lock in. <laughs> okay, Mary. So what do you what do you think here? Um, Sound like you had an idea. What were you thinking? So uh, it's a lot of big names, and usually, especially at that time period, there weren't a lot of celebrities doing voice work on like cartoons and that kind of thing. But this show, if it's if it is what I think it is, would be a show that was run by Ted Turner, who is a very wealthy man. And this was seen as something uh, almost like a charity work. Uh, so Captain Planet had a lot, a lot of very big name celebrities that would guest on that show. Um, and I think at one point they were going to have Tom Cruise as Captain Planet. Um, I don't think he ended up being that. But there was there was a lot of big names on that. So what do you think about Captain Planet? I think that sounds like an answer. That sounds good. Let's go with that. <laughs> it does sound like an answer. It sounds like an answer. One, that's the one we're going with. If Captain that's Planet. correct and it got banned, I'm assuming that's what caused global warming. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great guess because Whoopi Goldberg and LeVar Burton were definitely on uh, Captain Planet, uh, I believe, at different points at the same time. Um, we wrote down so many names, but they were the wrong time period. We wrote Celebrity Deathmatch. Uh, you wrote I Real Beavis Monsters, and Beavis and Butthead. South Park. Um, and then we just ended up going with um, Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, so this is actually a show that I think Matt actually banned from questions about the show being asked on Triviality, um, but that group of act- voice actors was, was too eclectic to pass up. It is Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, I actually did have a bonus question about... Um, about Tom Cruise, asking to name Tom Cruise, but I, I actually got rid of that. Um, oh, give us the bonus anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we need it. Come on. Uh, question number 12. Uh, the official motto of Texas is friendship. What led to the creation of the phrase, don't mess with Texas? Yeah, you know what? Let's just go with your answer because you wrote it down right away. So I'm just going to, once again, I'm going to follow those gut microbiomes. So let's see what happens. Mm. Sometimes you end up with poop. <laughs> that's okay. true mary have you ever been caught messing with texas <laughs> i have not okay that's good you follow it truthfully um i think this is really old what do you think yeah i think it is too i'm just trying to think is it related to a war when they were the republic of texas is it <laughs> yeah or maybe maybe it goes back to the civil war where they were trying to get them involved, and they said, don't mess with Texas. Leave us out of it. Or it could be the Alamo. The Alamo yeah. would be a big thing. Uh, I um, wrote the Alamo down, too. So, uh, Well, if you wrote the Alamo, and I yeah. said the Alamo, we both remembered it. <laughs> it's important. That is the most important thing is that we did remember it. Maybe, maybe they came up with those slogans simultaneously. I'm willing to go if you wanted to go back to the Civil War, and like they not wanting to be involved in it. Yeah, I I, like, I kind of like that as an idea. I it's it's made up, but it could be true. I, those are my favorite kind of answers. So, okay, uh, we'll go with the uh, Civil War. Um, we kind of ruled that possibility out. I think based on the question we had about Six Flags, because uh, the Confederate flag did fly over Texas. Um, but I think this might have to do with the Alamo. So that's what we locked in with. Yeah, so this is actually um, kind of relates to the previous question. It's something that, that Captain Planet w- would be fond of. Um, it's actually from a 1985 anti-littering campaign. Oh. So not the Alamo. Not the Alamo. <laughs> I knew it was an advertising executive because that's yeah. it's a pretty good slogan. Question number 13. The category is bands 14-year-old Carl really liked but is honestly afraid to listen to in 2021. What band from Wichita Falls, Texas, is known for its songs Punk Rock 101, 1985, and Girl All the Bad Guys Want? Uh, it's a good thing Ken's not here. He might have his head might explode. Yeah. Uh, do you, I ask, do you know this one, Mary? I do not. I hope you do. I do. <laughs> You're gonna lock it in for uh, 1985, actually, they weren't the first ones to record that song. Nope. It was 
the guys who did Hanging by a Moment. I forget their name. Lifehouse? Lifehouse, I believe, did the original version of 1985. I, I can tell you that there's more questions on Triviality Podcast about this band than there are about Bruce Springsteen, Madonna, <laughs> and Nirvana combined. Yeah. Well, never mind that, but let's hear what Matt's answer is. It's <laughs> bowling for soup. And we two are going to say bowling for soup. The answer is bowling for soup. I thought wasn't 1985 an SR71 song? It That's right. Yeah. He okay. just asked me who did "Hanging by a Moment." Oh, was that "Hang" or uh, "Hanging"? Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> proto Proto Nickelback. Yeah, every Lifehouse song was just sort of like half breathing, half effort. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question fourteen: Let my people bowl. In what ancient civilization is it believed that bowling originated? Oh, jeez. Flintstones, right? <laughs> the bedrock of sports. And uh, Neil and I, kind of on the same wavelength here, we'll lock it in. Um, I, I'm an avid bowler, um, but I have not learned the entire history of bowling. You're an avid bowler? No. Oh, I, was gonna say, I don't think I've ever seen you bowl. <laughs> no. Uh, I had um, a bowling game on my TI-83 in high school, so... I was pretty good at it. Um, Mary, what do you know about bowling? Uh, I'm just going off the clue, let my people bowl. I was going back to Moses, let my people go, um, mm-hmm. which puts us in Egypt, Egypt, and he wanted right. to go to Israel. So the only thing I can do is reference to that. That's Egyptian. Uh, that makes sense to me. They had a lot of free time on their hands in between building the pyramids. So I'm guessing there's bowling there. Um, so we're going to say Egypt. Yeah, I think when they weren't growing crops in the flood season, I think Matt's right. They did have a bit of free time, and uh, we also said Egypt. Yeah, maybe Moses split the seven and ten pins like he did the Red Sea um, with drawings depicting forms of bowling (laughs) as early as 5200 BC. It is Egypt. Uh, Number 15, I wonder if they bowled in Tannis. What TV series winner for the Emmy for Best Outstanding Drama in 1966 would later be made into a movie nominated for Best Picture? Oh, yeah, we can lock in. Mm, nominated, but Wonderful. not winning. Now, 1966, I wasn't watching a lot of television, unfortunately. There was only like seven shows on, so not Flipper. It's not. <laughs> Flipper. <laughs> the Waltons. So we're talking a little bit about different shows from the 60s, and we're really having a hard time coming up with dramas that potentially were made into movies, but you had an idea of something that you know is made into a movie later, right? Yeah, uh, The Man from Uncle. I think that that's about the right time period, and I know it was made into a movie, but I'm not sure if it's nominated, but I think that's... That's that's as good as we're going to get, so fingers crossed, and we're locking in. Uh, So I I usually think of one movie that's a a favorite of mine, when I think of movies based off of TV series that did really well, um, the, the question tricked me a little bit because I think the TV series started in the early 60s, um, but um, maybe it got nominated in 66. Um, but we went with um, the movie that taught us never to switch the samples. So we said The Fugitive. Yeah, so uh, Tanis is a city in Egypt, in uh, specifically in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which obviously Indiana Jones was played by Harrison Ford, who plays um, the, the character in The Fugitive. Dr. Richard Kimball. Looks like after five questions in the second round, uh, team Feed Me Dutch Boy picking up 30 points, uh, bringing their total to 130, and team Bye Bye Birdie also picking up 30 points, bringing their total to 90. All right, number 16, Lost in Translation. From one Best Picture nominee to another, in this case the winner, I took the plot summary of a Best Picture winner, put it into Google Translate four different times, leaving me with this summary. What film am I describing? The old man of violence of the working group allowed the management of his country's airspace to his son refused. Neil is not very good at these puzzles usually. Yeah, I'm terrible. And you know who else is not good at them? Me. Okay. But that's mostly because I don't know films. Yeah. So so we're looking at, I think it has something to do with maybe a president or, I was thinking almost Godfather because it has the father-son dynamic to it. And it did win Best Picture. Yes, I have Godfather down. I don't know why I have Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Return of the King. I did the the father son thing. I did think of Godfather as well. I'm trying to. Let's. I think let's just. It, 
I don't know how it relates to airspace, but getting tra- if you're looking at something mafia related, getting translated three to four times, I'm sure there's not a like for like in translation. So I think maybe Godfather is a good guess. If you want to go with Godfather, I that's that sounds good. Yeah, that's an offer I can't refuse. We're gonna say Godfather. That's a really good guess. I think you guys must have gotten it because when when I hear that now, old man of violence probably meaning like mob boss, offer he couldn't refuse, airspace maybe meaning like turf or whatever. So that's probably correct. Um, I just kept thinking of planes. So I was like platoon, there's a war movie, English patient. And then I just ended up saying one flew over the cuckoo's nest because of the flying. Yeah. So the original um, summary that I put in was an organized crime dynasty's aging patriarch transfers control of his clandestine empire to his reluctant son. Um, the category there was Lost in Translation, which is directed by Sofia Coppola. Um, obviously, th- this movie is The Godfather, directed oh. by Francis Ford Coppola. Great question. All right. Good answer. <laughs> Number 17. Just like the montage at the end of The Godfather, but with more historical impact. So I'm always interested when I realize that certain you know people and events were around during the same time in history. So I've picked four events of historical significance that all occurred within an 82-year period. I'm going to name all four and ask you to order them um, in the order that they occurred. So the the first one is the construction of Machu Picchu. The second one is Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses to the door of All Saints Church in Germany. The third is Ferdinand Magellan completing the, the first circumnavigation of the world. And the fourth is Johannes Gutenberg inventing the printing press. All right. Um, I just turned to Jeff and said, uh, see if you can figure this one out. And he did. And we're going to lock in. Okay. Uh, so, Mary, I think these all are, what, 1500s? Yeah. Somewhere around there? Yes. I feel like, I do feel like the, the Martin Luther one is smack dab in the middle, a two or three. Okay. Um, I think, what do you think? Uh, was number Guten- three listed? What did he, re- what was the third thing he said? Carl, would you? Magellan. Oh, Magellan. Okay, Ferdinand. Okay. I think Machu Picchu is the oldest. All right. So if we go, do we do it in order? I think maybe we swap Magellan and then Luther. We do like one, three, two, four. All right. That sounds good. We are locked in. All right. Um, So printing press definitely precedes Luther. So we started with the printing press. Whoops. And then um, I know it's not too long, but then we'll go um, Magellan in the middle, then Luther, then Machu Picchu, we're going to say is the newest. Yeah, so um, Gutenberg invented the printing press in 1440. Uh, Machu Picchu was constructed approximately 1450. Uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses in 1517, and Magellan completed his journey in 1522. Hmm. No points there. Number 18, earning that beer. I'm sure everyone that worked on those achievements could have appreciated a good beer at the end of the day. However, Gutenberg and Luther may have been the ones that actually could have gotten one. Uh, Believed to be operating continuously since 1040 AD, what is considered to be the oldest continuously operated brewery in the world? I always mix this one up because I, there's a fact that I've never forgotten about which beer was around during the plague, which is not old enough for this question. But then someone said, well, this one's been around forever, and I mix them up all the time. I think that we are not going to get this one. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Lock in with Bex because we got nothing else, and we're sure it's a German. All right, that sounds good. Bex it is. So I think my, my fact here is wrong because I, I thought someone told me once that Stella Artois, um, on the bottle there's like a year, like eight or whatever year, 13, 14, that people thought during the plague that it would cure it, and it didn't. But I could be wrong. I thought... I thought that was correct. Anyway, uh, we wrote down Stella Artois, Tsingtao, thinking maybe in China they would have had beer for a long time. And then we wrote down some German beers, Amstel, Grolsch, uh, or I guess Amstel's Dutch, uh, Grolsch, Heineken. Anyway, uh, we didn't know. So we just ended up just saying, well, Stella Artois is the oldest one we could think of. So that's what we went with. Yeah, so so Gutenberg and Luther were obviously in Germany. This is a, a German beer. Um, specifically, it's the Bayerische Staatsbrauerei Weihenstephan, or the Weihenstephan Brewery, which is located just north of Munich. Oh, oh okay. Munich beer. Ken would have known that. Yeah, they, they have a really good Weiss beer that I, that I enjoy from time to time. Number 19, grain, hops, water, and yeast. If you've ever toured a brewery, you know those are the four ingredients that go into beer. 
but for a beer that's truly out of this world, you may have to travel to outer space to get some of those ingredients. What Moon of Jupiter, featured in both film and book sequels to 2001 A Space Odyssey, is hypothesized to have a water ocean beneath its surface. I can lock in. Mm. Hmm. Do you think that it's Titan? It's an option. Okay, I, it's less. <laughs> I, I'm just, just. Yeah, I know. Just, <laughs> um, can can I help you out? Hmm. Titan's a moon of Saturn. Okay. What is Ganymede? Is that Jupiter? Uh, I don't know. Apparently, before this uh, recording, I went to Jupiter to get more stupider. <laughs> oh my god! I was gonna say you you put some uh, drops of Jupiter in your eye, and it made you dumber. Yeah, I'm having a hard time today. The moons of Jupiter. Um. Yeah, um, I can't think of any other moons. Is Callisto a moon of Jupiter? Yeah, Jeff's just playing with us now. I know. Uh, No, no, you're right. So most of what I learned originally about the moons of Jupiter, I learned on watching the original 1998 run of Cowboy Bebop. Oh, Uh, so. Hopefully you checked out our Cowboy Bebop exclusive uh, Lay It On Me recently due to the Netflix series coming out. So, Oh, boy. Do you want to, I guess, you want to just lock in with Io? Sure. Let's just do that. I'm, We're not I'm, getting any closer. We're very far from Jupiter. We, our Jupiter is not ascending. Well, I uh, I told Jeff that um, Justin Timberlake and 50 Cent had a song called Io Technology, but he said it's not about Jupiter's moon. No, of the four Galilean moons, I believe they named all but the correct answer. Ganymede, Io, and Callisto were all said, but I'm pretty sure it's Europa. Mm. Yeah. It's the sixth largest moon in the solar system and one of the Galilean moons. It is Europa. Question number 20. What's in a name? Alternatively called Jupiter 2, Europa is not the only European or European answer in today's game to have multiple names. Formerly known as Saxe, Coburg, and Gotha, this renamed modern dynasty ruled over what European country? It sounds like a law firm. <laughs> it, it does. Here at Sex, Coburn, and Gotha, we represent you in all your injury cases. Over a hundred million to our clients so far. <laughs> Ruling over a country. So I thought we had to come up with the other name. So this is easier. At least we can just yeah, name just a European a country. Country, yeah. I was thinking. I was in the same position. I'm like. Oh, country? Well, like, cool. Let's just guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many could there possibly be? <laughs> like thirty-ish. Who would even 40? know? Um. So it, Gotha, Sax. What is it? That sounds kind of Germanic and yeah. Uh, so what about Hungary? I feel like they've been ruled by a lot of different let's people. Let's go and for things. it. Let's go. Yeah, I think in that region. Yeah. So let's go Hungary. Sure. Yep, Hungary. It is. So, Jeff, once again, I, I give him some clues trying to help, and he said, I don't believe this is the same sex who have a store on Fifth Avenue, so uh, I let Jeff take it away for the answer. Um, it, it is German, um, but I think that they had more, much more of a uh, impact uh, due to marriage on the uh, British crown, um, because I think Queen Victoria was pretty much the, the monarch when it came to this dynasty. So uh, we said... Uh, Great Britain, UK, whatever, however, you know, titles, titles. Yeah, so this the the house was renamed in 1917 because of anti-German sentiment, um, because they were at war with the Germans. Um, it's House Windsor, uh, yeah, the United Kingdom, England, and anything in that vein would have, would have been accepted. Well, after regulation, um, the game isn't actually out of reach for either team. It's still a fairly close game here. We have uh, Bye Bye Birdie with 100 points. And team Feed Me Dutch Boy with 150 points. Um, so, uh, yeah, Carl, let's hear those categories so we can wager on them. Yeah, so the categories are soul, mind, space, reality, and time. Okay, looks like all the wagers are now locked in. And uh, just for the listeners at home, everyone is betting 15s all the way down. So it'll keep it pretty simple today. So uh, 15s all the way down. So let's hear the uh, questions. Hoping these are all Captain Planet related. Matt, looks like that's the correct, right? <laughs> yes, they're all Captain Planet people. Yeah, so um, you may have noticed that these are five of the six Infinity Stones. Um, oh. I, uh, yeah. I excluded um, the sixth, the Power Stone, um, because you know what happens when you get all six together, and I didn't want to eliminate any of your potential Patreons um, you know, with, with a snap of some sort. Mm-hmm. Good looking out, Carl. I do what I can. Um, so in, the first question is uh, in Soul. 
Following the artist's death in Madison, Wisconsin in 1967, what song was the first song posthumously released to reach number one on the U.S. charts? In mind, in what city will you find the world's first underground passenger rail system? Space, what man-made object is the farthest from Earth? Reality, Survivor is one of the first and most successful reality TV shows. Within two, how many seasons of the American Survivor have aired? And time. How many time zones does China have? Okay, we will go over these questions and be back with our answers. All right, all of our answers are locked in. But before we get to that, uh, just have a brief word. Uh, Neil and I were talking just a moment ago. A lot of people have been asking how you can get on the show. How do you get on the show, guys? It's actually pretty straightforward. So uh, we've got a sign-up form that's going to be going out uh, actually probably about this time, mm-hmm. uh, release of the episode. Uh and we're going to do that on our crop Facebook group. We're going to do it on Discord and Patreon. Wow, that sounds really easy. Even I can do it? Even you can do it, Matt. Wow. You can sign up to be on the show. Uh, I'm sure people would love for you to sign up as host. Don't worry, everyone. Uh, more Triviality hosted episodes are uh, coming, actually. So one of the things that we're going to be doing in 22 is making sure that we can uh, get back to doing that a little bit. And uh, we're really looking forward to it. But if you want to be on the show, you don't have to support us in any way. Uh, you can just sign up on the list to either host or be a guest. Yep, and uh, yeah, just to dispel any um, any inconsistencies or, or rumors or not, yeah, you don't have to be a Patreon supporter, so you can come on and not be one. But if you are a Patreon supporter, you do get priority booking um, just to help when we we look through all the files to uh, go down the list and get people on the show. Just so, a little way to pay them back for what mm-hmm. they do for us. Yes. So yeah, if you want to sign up, just go to that sheet. If you have any other questions, though, feel free to email us at trivialitypodcast at gmail.com, and we'll do our best to answer them as quickly as possible. Carl, uh, we have our answer, so let's see if we're right. All right. In Seoul, following the artist's death in Madison, Wisconsin in 1967, what song was the first song posthumously released to reach number one on the U.S. charts? Um, I think he's more famous for maybe a little San Francisco sound. Uh, we're going to guess it's Otis Redding's Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. And how much did you wager? We wagered 15 on that one. Mm, interesting. We wagered 15 on all of ours as well, and we also thought this was Otis Redding doing a little sitting on the dock of the bay. Yeah, with a final recording three days before his death in a plane crash, um, the answer is Otis Redding's Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Wasting time. In mind, in what city will you find the world's first underground passenger rail system? All right, so this one, uh, a couple things. When we broke to discuss, uh, we were like, how does mind come into this? And we're like, wait a minute, M-I-N-E-D, mind, also M-I-N-D. And we're like, okay, now we feel dumb, so let's try and answer the question. Um, Jeff and I, anytime we hear this question, we either answer New York or London, and we know one of them was the first to do it, and the other one was the first to do it maybe more successfully, and we can never remember which distinction it is. But uh, we decided between New York and London to pick? New York. We didn't even consider America. Bad on us. <laughs> no, we thought this would be more of a European, and then we were struggling thinking whether Rome, Berlin, Paris, and we just ended up going Paris. Yeah, so in this city, you must mind the gap. Um, opening in 1863, it's yeah, it's the tube or the London Underground in London. I actually um, did a semester in London, and I, to get to class, I would have to go through the Baker Street tube station um, every day, and that, that's one of the very first uh, stations in the system. That, that's how I learned that. In space, what man-made object is farthest from Earth? Um, I usually get this question wrong. It usually takes me two guesses. Um, so I said Voyager 1. Ooh, we thought it was its more successful sequel, Voyager 2. Yeah, launched in 1977, uh, entering interstellar space in 2012. It is Voyager 1. Yeah, both are in interstellar space, and it's also believed that Pioneer 10 and 11 are also somewhere out there, um, but we've lost contact with, with both of those. Whoops. And, fi- and um, in reality, uh, Survivor is one of the first and most successful reality TV shows. Within two, how many seasons of the American Survivor have aired? All right. Um, I wanted to say maybe like five, six years ago, I remember they were up to like 21, 22, which like baffled me. And that was at least five or six years ago. So I'm just banking on the fact that they had a ton more and um, to kind of split the difference. We're going to say 29. We think uh, doing two a year for quite some time and doing some all-star, we think they're actually up to 45. Yeah. So this uh, Survivor premiered May 31st, 2000. And if you said two a year, you would have been pretty close. Um, There's been 41 seasons of Survivor. Wow. In time, how many time zones does China have? 
One. They just have one. Uh, yes, we agree. One time zone. Yeah, even though China spans five like geographical time zones, um, yeah, it only has one time zone, Beijing time or China standard time. Um, there's a, a spot on the border with Afghanistan where it has a three and a half hour difference from one side to the other. And some parts of China, the sun can rise as early as 3 a.m., while others, it doesn't rise until 10 a.m. Well, after the entire game there, it uh, looks like Team Bye Bye Birdie is going to just lose 15 points, and uh, their final score is going to be 85, and picking up 15 points is going to be Feed Me Dutch Boy with 165 points, making them today's cream of the crop. The cream of the crop! Ugh, tough loss, Mary, but you know what? You were a great teammate and uh, carried me through some of those. Sorry I couldn't help with some of the sports questions. Uh. All right, just wasn't my round of questions, but I'd love to do it again, and I just had a great time. So thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome, Glad to Mary. Have you. Um, any uh, anyone you'd like to shout out to? Any uh, any final statements over on your end? We really appreciated you spending time with us today. No, I just really enjoyed the show. I stumbled across you guys way back when you guys were uh, doing the triviality round on trivial warfare, and I just started listening to you guys. And I think you're one of the most enjoyable, easy, laid back trivia shows out there. So really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you very much. That's so nice of you. And uh, yeah, shout out to our friends over at Trivial Warfare and uh, glad that uh, we were able to be on their show and, and get you to listen to us. And um, that's that's us. We're laid back and we just like to have fun and, and uh, try and give trivia a, a fun spin for everyone. So thank you very much for spending time today and being a Patreon supporter. And uh, Carl, wonderful game. A crazy theme here. Like you said, it was a stream of consciousness. It uh, went all over the place, but it, it all made sense and it all fit together in the end. And uh, we really appreciate you putting it together for us today. Any, any uh, last... Uh, final statements from you as well yeah thanks for having me i had a blast um i actually found you guys through trivial warfare as well um yeah i just want to shout out to the people that helped me play test my wife vanya um genway my sisters jamie and erica my parents john and laura and then steven amber peter garrett and abby also helped test uh, the game All right and we will forgive you for asking a captain planet question you are forgiven <laughs> Yeah, Matt is the uh, the last uh, stand there, right of forgiveness for Captain Planet. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, thank you very much, both of you, for joining us today. Uh, and uh, if you'd like to join them, you can go to patreon.com slash trivialitypodcast. But for Matt, Jeff, Carl, Mary, Ken, who is not here today, uh, myself is Neil. Myself is Neil. All right, I'm having a brain fart in it. We're just going to end the show now. So thank you very much. That was Triviality. All right, so that's how the rules were supposed to be read. Um, and they, those were done live as well, though, from Southern Illinois, where Darren uh, records, mm -hmm. our Darren Marlar, who does our, our voiceover work. Darren's dance grooves. Darren's dance grooves. I like how you say he does our voiceover work, like we've <laughs> ever had him do anything but the one rules reading. It was one transaction five years ago that he probably <laughs> forgot about. Yeah. But uh, thank Fiber you, Darren. Fiber all-star Darren. Yes.